0: From the seed-saving studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another instructional episode of Chemical-Free Horticultural Hijinx, You Bet Your Garden. Did you grow a fabulous tomato, pepper, or bean crop this season? I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and on today's show, we'll reveal how you can save the seeds of your best-looking subjects and grow them out again next year. Yeah. maybe. Plus, evasive answers to your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and tantalizingly taught tremulations. So keep your eyes and ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you eating your tomatoes and saving them, too. Right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners. School bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. And for those of you watching on TV, you're actually going to see me show you how to save some seeds. For those of you listening on the radio or a podcast, Don't forget, you can always go watch the show for what we're doing when we say we're doing something here. Okay? Well, that was confusing enough. Oh, yes, the question of the week is about saving seeds, so stay tuned for that. After lots of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Anna, welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
1: Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my calls.
0: Well, thank you for making it, Anna. How you doing? I'm doing fine. How about you? I am just ducky, thanks for asking. And where is Anna doing fine?
2: Um, in
1: Providence, Rhode Island.
0: Oh, okay. Very good. We're getting a lot of calls uh, from New England lately. That's a nice change of pace.
1: Yeah, your podcast has good reach. I've been listening for a couple of years from
0: up here. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Yes, we love our podcasters a million years a year. It's just amazing. <laughs> what can we? What can we do for Anna in Providence?
1: So I love growing heirloom tomatoes. And I grow some other things as well um, in in raised beds and fabric pots. Mm -hmm. And I've been at this for a few years. And I'm just learning about crop rotation and that things should be moving for, like, multiple years, not just one or two years, right. so I'm trying to plan things out, and um, I'm like, okay, well, you know, I can't grow other things prone to verticillium, will, I guess, in the same space, but then I kind of got myself a little over-researched and figured I'd better give you a call to straighten me out.
0: Right, okay, so it's a great question. Uh, tomatoes uh, develop a symbiotic relationship with organisms that are in every piece of soil and that is the organism that causes verticillium wilt. Mm-hmm. So so let's let's talk about a, you know, a, a 2 cubic foot space here. The first year a tomato is grown in that space, it will kind of attract the verticillium wilt organisms to its roots, but nothing okay. nothing bad will happen. Okay. Second year you grow a tomato plant in that exact same spot, more verticillium will develop. Now it's breeding down there around the roots, but Mm -hmm. nothing bad will happen. (laughs) Third year, now the soil is full of verticillium wilt in that like two cubic feet. And so the tomato you plant in that same spot, the third year, the leaves will turn yellow on the bottom and progress up the plant.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Now if it's in, in <clears throat> if it's an indeterminate tomato like most heirlooms are it yep. keeps growing and generally outruns the wilt but okay. but your time is up there now it's time to yeah. plant in a space that's been tomato free for at least 2 years um, okay. that's if you're a gambler if you're con- <laughs> if you're conservative <laughs> if you're conservative it should be three years where you're growing okay. other stuff in that plot. And the nice thing, and this is this is the thing that people often don't hear about, is it's not permanent. By the time right. year three comes around, you can replant in that original spot because the verticillium hasn't had anything to feed on. So Correct. it's okay. died off and the cycle starts again.
1: Okay.
0: So where does that leave us?
1: That That helps, definitely. And the... I guess I I was reading one of your posts about certain tomatoes being resistant to verticillium, but even if they're resistant, the verticillium's still growing,
0: right? Well, there are named varieties, mm-hmm. um, especially hybrid varieties that yep. will that will have letters after the variety name. Yep. Um, it'll have in in our case v, the letters V and F for verticillium and fusarium, which yep. is a similar wilt, well, much more common down south. It may yeah. it may have other letters there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, showing that it's resistant to tobacco, mosaic virus, and nematodes. Um, But it's the V and F that Mm -hmm. you want to try if, like most of us, you just don't have enough space uh, to do this properly. There are also grafted tomatoes. Oh, okay. This was hugely popular like 40 years ago, and then it kind of fell out of favor. But now it's come back, and a lot of catalogs and better independent garden centers will now sell you tomatoes with the variety you want grafted on a highly resistant rootstock. Um, A rootstock that is essentially worthless for growing tomatoes. But... Hmm it is very resistant to verticillium wilt. So make sure, and this is something we can't stress enough, when you have a grafted plant, whether it's a fruit tree, a rose, a tomato plant, Mm -hmm. the graft always has to stay above the soil line.
4: Ah, I
1: got it. Okay.
0: So you can't do the trick of burying that tomato really deep. But the the benefits you get from, a and, and grafted tomatoes are available to kind of conquer all sorts of different ailments. So you want to make sure if you try this that it was deliberately grafted onto a wilt-resistant rootstock.
1: Yeah, and I've been growing starts actually under shop lights like you recommended with really great success. Good. So I might not be as, you know, ready to do the grafted thing just yet, but um that is really interesting. And I remember you mentioning like with roses and stuff too, that the graft must stay exposed. It can't get buried,
0: right? Right, or the rootstock will take over. So um if if you've had success starting seeds inside. Some seed companies will actually sell you the rootstock, the huh. seeds of the rootstock, and you can graft it yourself. Oh wow, okay. It's it it is not that easy to do on many plants, but it <laughs> no, it's very easy to do with tomatoes. Haven't you huh. ever had a tomato fall over and before you you know, you didn't pick it up right away and all of a sudden these ghostly white roots um were coming out where it touched the ground? Tomatoes hmm. love to root. Oh, okay. And okay. It, and it's a fun thing. And if you fail, you fail. I mean that's you know, it's not the worst thing. But I do that plenty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you do the rotation, you know, you move it around. Now the interesting thing is you said you're using grow bags, right?
1: Yeah, some some grow bags and I filled it with like a rough approximation of Mel's mix of the peat, vermiculite and compost.
0: Oh, Mel Mel Bartholomew from Square yeah, Foot Gardening. Yeah, yes. I'm a
1: big fan of him.
0: Yes, he was he was a great guy. Yeah, uh okay, so no garden soil.
1: Correct. Yeah. I mean I live in a city and there was plenty of lead paint washing off houses for a couple hundred years. So oh, very good. Um, I wanted to just avoid all of that.
0: Excellent. Excellent. So one thing we don't know and this is something, I I apologize, I've been planning to try to research this. Mm -hmm. Um, When you are growing in a soil-free mix like you have Mm -hmm. created, um, Mm -hmm. it's possible that there are no verticillium organisms in there. Oh, okay. And so if your tomatoes were raised in a soil-free mix and Uh then they get planted in a soil-free mix, uh, there is the possibility that the verticillium won't be there to get started.
1: Huh, okay, that's interesting.
0: So, you know, certainly if you're gonna roll the dice, um, roll them with the soil-free mix containers and see yeah. what happens.
1: Okay, that's that's good, because, yeah, I have a few of those now that are stably in the sunny spot, which is where the tomatoes have been happiest in, in raised beds as well, uh-huh. um, but it'll be, yeah, it could be a, a you know, couple seasons of experimentation, and for the ones that, you know, if I, if I don't roll the dice and I'm just like, you know what, I'm going to try to get stuff out of here for three years, you know, is it, it's better to be putting in things like beans and peas and carrots and stuff that aren't susceptible to verticillium. Is that right?
0: You will read in gardening books and just uh-huh. about every bit of advice that you get from an extension service about other plants that are susceptible to verticillium wilt. I've I've never seen it. I've never never seen it happen. I don't think twice about what I rotate my tomatoes with.
1: Huh. Okay. So, you know, if I don't mind dealing with a whole mess of strawberries in a few years to try to move them, I could just throw strawberries in
0: there. You could try. Now, they're said to be susceptible, as you probably know. Yeah, Um, that's what I've read. But, again, I've never seen it happen.
1: Interesting. Okay. All right. Yeah. um, Okay. Well, I could ask you questions all day, but I don't want to be greedy about your time, so um, I can let you go now.
0: Great. Thank you. Call us back, uh, you know, next time you have a new question.
1: Okay. Sounds good. Take good care. I appreciate it.
0: You too. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Deborah, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Hello, Deb. How are you?
4: I'm really good. Thank
0: you. How are you? That's fat. I'm ducky. I'm just ducky with my (laughs) little duck here working with me. Um... Yeah, that's great. Uh, where are you?
4: I uh, just moved to Salmon, Idaho.
0: Salmon? Where is Salmon in
4: Idaho? Where is Salmon? It is kind of central east uh, Idaho. Okay. Best I can figure out. <laughs>
0: all, all right. Well, you've picked one of the few places in the country I've never visited, so I may need a little help from you. But uh, okay. w- what can we do you for?
4: Well... Uh, apparently it's kind of high desert here. Okay. And when I moved into the house, I bought it because it has a beautiful orchard in the back. Oh, actually. So there are, yeah, there's like 11 different fruit trees back there. Mm-hmm. Uh, pears, apples, I think it's a apricot-plum combo. Um, right, plum-cock. I think that, yeah. And mm-hmm. I think there's peaches, too. Okay.
0: How long have you lived here? Um... <laughs> Two weeks. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. What a great adventure. Um, yeah. Are, is there fruit on the trees?
4: Yeah, there's a ton of fruit on the trees. And so far I'm eating the apricot. I think it's a plum cut. Plum cut. Yeah. It. But yeah. Oh my gosh. Like candy. Oh, that's fabulous.
0: Uh, that's why you yeah. bought the house, right?
4: Exactly. And then also there's a terrace garden Coming off the deck, and there is like a huge row of strawberries and a huge row of blueberries.
0: Oh, fabulous. Oh. So, yeah. the, but they're both done for the season, right?
4: Uh, I actually still have some more, a couple little strawberries here and there, and then the blueberries are just finishing up. Yeah. But th- my problem is um, I can't figure out how to water everything. When I moved in, They have a drip system, um, and he told me the front yard is grass, and that gets 30 minutes every day. Mm -mm. The strawberry blueberries get, I think, 45 minutes, and then the trees are supposed to get an hour every day.
0: Oh, that's ridiculous,
4: yeah. Right?
0: Now, you say you're in the high desert. Uh, Do you have any idea how much, or I should say how little rainfall you get in the average year?
4: Um. Not quite sure yet it it did rain quite a bit this spring, okay, good um, yeah
0: now uh, um, have you I'm, have you seen the controls for this drip system, or is it all manual?
4: Uh, no, it's all controlled, although it's a little haywire right now because it keeps going off. Uh-huh. so every time I turn around and I maybe get it like tweaked because there's a sprinkler that's you know going eight feet up in the air right. and it's supposed to be a drip, and <laughs> So it needs tweaking, but I'm just thinking, what should I be setting it at? What okay, does well, everything? One mm-hmm.
0: other question first. Do you know if okay. this system can register rainfall? Uh,
4: it does have a bypass for rain.
0: And so it can tell when it's rain? I think so. Okay. Um, and when you say it needs tweaking, does that mean you're going to have a service person come out and look at it? So ideally, everything you mentioned should get one inch of water a week, applied all at once. So you, especially the lawn, you never want to water a lawn for short periods of time every day, or it'll never develop deep roots. So I would suggest um, three or four hours either once or twice a week, depending. I mean, uh, where you are, uh, is it uh, 90, 100 degree days at the worst time of uh, summer?
4: Yeah, yeah, and very low humidity.
0: Yeah, okay. So I would say you could do three hours all at once, twice a week, and your plants oh, will okay. do will do really well.
4: Oh, okay. Oh, perfect.
0: And also that the area... much easier. Oh yeah, the area you're in I believe it tends to be alkaline, so make sure you keep the soil that the blueberries are in uh, nice and acidic with peat moss or even sulfur.
4: Oh, okay. He left a big bag of peat moss for me. There you go. When do I... Yeah. When do I put that down? Anytime. Anytime. Do you have any compost around? No. Okay. I I have an area where I can start it,
0: though. Okay. Do you have deciduous trees? Uh,
4: There are some around.
0: Hmm.
4: I don't know exactly what kind. I
0: think maybe elm. No, that doesn't matter. As long as they drop their leaves in the fall, make sure you okay. make sure you collect and shred them. Because the thing about peat moss is, is I think it's windy where you are too. Yes. Uh, yeah, it is. It's when you put it down, you want to cover it with soil or compost, just eh. so it doesn't blow away. Oh, okay. But it sounds it sounds like you made a great buy.
4: Oh, I think so. Plus, it. it I sold my other house, got this house, and now I can retire and work on the garden.
0: Oh, it sounds fabulous. Congratulations. Yeah.
4: Well, thank you.
0: All right. Call us anytime you get in trouble. Okay. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and sadly announce that for most of us, the time has come to start removing new flowers from our tomatoes and pepper plants, because there just isn't enough time left for those flowers to become full-fledged fruits. But don't go deflowering your delicacies just yet because we'll be right back with important information about seed saving and more of your CD phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we're going to tell you how to save seeds of some of your favorite garden produce and grow them out again next year. Not only is it cost saving, but your seeds will acclimate themselves to your temperature, your climate, your own temper, and all of that stuff. So after five or 10 years of saving and reusing seed, you might have a variety that's dedicated to your own garden. Isn't that exciting? We'll tell you how to do it after lots more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Ann, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Hi, Ann, how you doing? I'm doing great, how are you? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking. (laughs) Ducky is always happy to be recognized. Uh, Where is Ann doing good? I'm in Norrie, Pennsylvania. You've stumped the chump here, Anne. I, I have no idea where that is.
5: It's about um, 50 miles southwest of State College.
0: Oh, okay, so it's not anywhere, really. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, is there a stoplight in town? Is that where you go for excitement? Hey,
5: look, it changed. You know. It actually, there is one stoplight. That's yeah. it. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's a good Friday evening.
5: Oh, look, it's yellow.
0: All right, Anne, what can we do for you?
5: Okay, I have um, six raised beds. Excellent. And, oh, I love them, love them. Mm -hmm. And I was um, doing some harvesting of beets, and I was, you know, how you're thinking while you're doing, and I was wondering how, what's the best way on cleanup? I've had them for a while. In fact, several I've had for a long while. And I was wondering, like, do I leave leaves in there because I tend to clean everything out Right at the end. And, you know, in the past, whenever in my in-ground part of the garden, I let things in and then we just till it under. And since we're not tilling, you know, what, what right. what's a good way to clean up the bed?
0: Well, uh, aren't you going to eat your beets?
5: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But just like some of the leaves and like the potato vines and, you oh, know.
0: Oh, I see. I see. Well, do you have a compost pile?
5: Yes, I okay. do have, I actually have a tumbler mm-hmm. and I also have a pile.
0: Okay, great. Well, things like tomato, uh, to, tomato vines, potato plants, um, everything like that, that can go into the compost. That could either go into the tiller or it could go into a big open pile the leaves of those kind of plants, especially leaves of string beans, green beans, mm-hmm. are actually very nitrogen-rich. The legumes are much more valuable in a compost pile than just a regular detrius of fruits and vegetables. Yes, but it is a good idea to get everything out of there, um, especially if you you said you're growing potatoes, right? I have potatoes, yep. So at that very end of the season, make sure you really dig around in that area. Uh, Volunteer potatoes are fun, but every once in a while, if we get uh, late blight spores blowing into the region, they can be carried over by unharvested potatoes. So it's a really good idea to try to get all those little guys, because, you know...
5: Okay, that's a really good idea because you know sometimes I have renegades you know to come up the next year and absolutely that sort
0: of thing. absolutely mm-hmm. volunteer potatoes. Um, mm-hmm. I used to love them until I found out that they can uh, harbor the late blight that caused the potato famine in Ireland years and years ago hmm. so, okay so make sure everything is out uh, you know maybe even level the beds real nicely and then what I like to do, is cover the beds with a layer of shredded fall leaves Okay. and that prevents heaving and thawing of the soil. Um, The leaves will start to slowly break down and release nutrients. It prevents, there are a number of weeds that germinate in the winter time and it prevents them from getting a head start. Um, The only thing you need to remember is in the spring, remove that mulch, push it to the side two weeks before you want to plant anything because the the mulch will keep the soil at a constant temperature and by removing the mulch, you allow the sun to warm up the soil and heat it up much more quickly for your new crops.
5: Okay, Um, we always plant garlic in September, beginning of October, so we always do the chopped up leaves over them. Right, so right. So we'll just do it for all the
0: beds. Oh, they love that. And um, one thing about garlic, one thing we've learned over the years, is especially in some uh, in a, in a place like yours where it's a somewhat cold climate. You know, you have more of a winter than I do. Always. We, mm-hmm. we, Always better to get it in early in September than to wait till October. That gives the garlic more time to develop a good root system before the ground can freeze.
5: Okay. Can I ask you another question about the garlic? I can't remember if you said this or I read it somewhere that like a week or so before you plant, put it in the fridge.
0: No, never, oh, never said that. Okay. No, that that would be unnatural. Um, okay. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, single cloves, good condition. Where you are, I'd have them close to six inches deep. Uh, but no, mm. no, no pre-chilling because they're going to get chilled for the next six months. Okay. Uh, All right. Oh, and actually, now I'm reminding myself of something I wrote years ago. Never put garlic or tomatoes in the fridge. It can only damage right. their flavor. Right,
5: right. Okay, Ann? Okay. Yeah, thank you very much. Always a pleasure
0: to talk to a fellow garlic grower.
3: <laughs> okay.
0: All right. Thank you, Ann. Brian, welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
3: Hello. Good to talk to you. Hi there.
0: Good to talk to you, Brian. Hi back at you. How you doing? I'm doing pretty fine today.
3: Outside, it's okay. I uh, live in New Tripoli, Pennsylvania. New Tripoli, as we say here.
0: I was going to say because I call it New Tripoli.
3: Well, that's what the locals call it too. Yep, yeah. Yeah. And,
0: and tell me where the old Tripoli
3: is. Uh, it's in uh, actually North Africa. Oh. Uh, new Tricoli, If I can take one second, I'm a, I'm a history professor, by the Please, way. Please, yeah. Uh, was named named in honor of the American victory uh, against the so-called Barbary pirates in uh, under Jefferson, uh, where the American Marines captured uh, Tripoli in uh, what's now Libya.
0: Oh wow, that's actually exciting! But pirates back
3: in the Jeffersonian days. That's right. Yeah, back around 1802, 1803. Yeah, there was a small battle there. it was, it's very confusing. But apparently, <laughs> local farmers were so impressed that they renamed the village that, and a couple of streets in the village are named after uh, figures in the Jefferson administration. So, so that's 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 the fact.
0: But it turned out to be a bad idea when pirates invaded because they got confused yeah. about where they were and being <laughs> and being pirates would never stop right. to ask for directions. You know. That's right.
3: <laughs> All right. Enough
0: chit-chat, Brian. What do you got?
3: Okay, here's the deal. I have a rural property there. I'm not actually a farmer, but it's a rural property. And I have a plot where uh, it had been a strawberry patch for a few years. It's uh, The size, by the way, is about 20 feet by 40 feet, so it's mm. not a big area. And it's got uh, good, good soil because I, it was an old filled-up old swimming pool with a good soil put in it. So I want to remove that weed-choked strawberry patch. It's now past its prime and put in a small recreational orchard, which I'm guessing I have size enough room for maybe six trees or so, six to eight small trees. And I wonder what to do. I don't want to do a lot of spraying, you know. And I called a farmer friend of mine who suggested um, a good tree would be a Montmorency cherry, otherwise known as a sour cherry. Okay. Yeah. And I was thinking about that, and I was curious what you thought about that and whether it was a good choice and whether there might be other fruits that might also be appropriate for that.
0: Well, he actually named a really good low care fruit. Uh, cherries right. might be um the most disease-free and to some degree pest-free fruits. Um, okay. but do they come in a dwarf size? My understand yes. they do. You can get a dwarf they do. one?
3: Yep, I can get a dwarf one. The size only goes up to about uh, 8 to 12 feet, so it's small. Which right, is that's nice. no that
0: would be considered a semi dwarf, but that's better than the old standard for Years and right. years, you could only get full-size trees. The, yeah. the one thing you have to prepare for, and it's interesting, because now you'll know this as you're planting, is birds will fight yeah. you for every cherry when they're ripe. So <laughs> maybe as you plant, you can plan some sort of protection. Now, bird, bird netting is not going to help you. The birds just sit on the netting while they eat your cherries. Oh, but okay. if, you're, oh. a, if you're able to estimate the final size and knock out some sort of structure that you would then throw bird netting over, you'd, oh. you'd be way ahead of the game. I see. Thanks but I do, well. I do endorse it. Um, it is a lot of fun. I know they're called sour cherries. Mm-hmm. Um, my good friend um, Gordon Smith, who took the pictures for my uh, kitchen garden A to Z coffee table book and is a great gardener he has a huge one a standard in his yard and they're not sour to me i mean they're amazing tasting cherries so yeah, yeah i double endorse that the okay the other carefree tree would be a pear tree. Pear um, tree. Yeah, pear trees are really not susceptible to disease or pests. Mm-hmm. They, they, uh, you know, the only time you really have to do something with a pear tree is if you get so many pears on a branch that it starts bending and breaking.
3: Oh. <laughs> uh, then
0: then you need to thin the fruits. But otherwise, again, a very carefree fruiting tree. The ones- that embarrassment riches. Yeah, exactly, oh, very much so. Um, And the ones to avoid, unless you really want to be paying a lot of attention and do a lot of work to get your harvest, are peaches and apples. Mm, In In the Northeast, apples are prone to so many pests and diseases. That's why you see so many apples grown in Washington state. Mm -hmm. because on the other side of the Rockies, a lot of these pests and diseases are not present. So it's Mm, much easier to be an apple grower in Washington State. And peaches are just a pain in the butt, but of course the fruit is, like, legendary. But but if you want low work, cherries and pears, um, as long as you like them both, that would be a great idea. But I will also say, because you were talking about, you know, keeping them close together... You know, belay that idea and put more space in between the trees than you think necessary so you won't always be pruning to keep them apart.
3: Well, that sounds like a plan. I do appreciate that. Watch out for those pirates, man. All right. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Helen, welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
3: Thank
2: you so much for having me, Mike. How are you doing today?
0: I am just ducky. Thanks for asking. Where is Helen?
2: I am calling from Pennsauken, New Jersey.
0: What can we do for Helen in Pennsauken?
2: I am having a problem with squash and harlequin bugs in my raised bed. Okay. Um, And we've tried using neem oil mm-hmm. to get rid of them, and I've enjoyed using the sprayer to just spray them straight off the leaves and watch them fall. Right. But it doesn't seem to be getting them to go away, and they've completely killed my kohlrabi and...
0: Well, you should thank them for that, (laughs) Helen. Now you don't have to try and eat it.
2: The leaves were so good and solid. It was was yummy.
0: I always thought kohlrabi would make a great spaceship in a science fiction movie.
2: (laughs) It Uh, looks really strange, yeah.
0: Okay, so um, you have harlequin (laughs) bugs, which are a form Uh of stink bug. Mhm-, um, like our marmorated one that we have here i'm I'm surprised that you have harlequin uh bugs. they're more common down south than they are in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. and when you say squash, do you mean squash beetles, the elongated I, creatures
2: yeah that's that's what they look like, um kind of dark so that they almost blend in with the leaves, also look sort of like stink bugs.
0: Um, I would say you probably just have a different form of stink bug then, because oh, okay. uh, because squash bugs are um, kind of long and narrow, more shaped like a mm-hmm. lightning bug. So, oh. okay, so you're growing in a raised bed. Mm-hmm. Okay. How big is the bed?
2: It's about three by six.
0: Oh, we okay. Okay, real yeah. nice and easy not to step in at three mm-hmm. feet wide, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. What did you fill it with? We filled it
2: with organic organic garden soil okay. um, that had some perlite mixed in. okay. And then I mixed in a little bit of Dr. Earth's tomato and vegetable food into the bed as I was filling it with dirt and
0: okay okay i've 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 seen those products around mm-hmm. and they're natural and or organic, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm trying to keep it organic.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, we're going to try to help you do that. And what are you growing in the bed again besides the dreaded kohlrabi?
2: I've also got some tomatoes and some leeks. The leeks are doing pretty good. We had zucchini, but between the damage from the bugs and them trying to take over, I just cut them out.
0: Okay. Yeah, stink bugs. They are a problem. There is a trap Mm -hmm. that you can Mm -hmm. buy, a stink bug trap and okay. it attracts them. Um, did you mm-hmm. have the stink bugs in your home over the winter?
2: No, not that we noticed, but we also have a cat who likes to hunt things.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, our, our, we have two kittens, and one of them is a straight bug eater. I think you're on the right track with uh, with the neem oil. Um, now, did you said that you've tried getting rid of them with sharp streams of water, right?
2: Yes, we've tried hitting them with sharp streams of water kind
0: of fun because I like seeing them fall off and die. Yeah, but they're, I think they're too big to be as negatively affected by that as aphids. That's the real cure oh, for aphids. Darn. So what I'm going to suggest is a two-pronged approach. Um, mm-hmm. Look for the stink bug trap. My understanding mm-hmm. is you need to hang it right in the plant, right on the plant. And then the okay. stink bugs are attracted to it and crawl into it and die. I think it is made uh, by a company called Rescue. They are the premier makers of insect traps. In Mm -hmm. addition to that, I'm gonna suggest um, you spray them directly with either uh, insecticidal soap or Mm -hmm. horticultural oil. And I'll tell you a deep, dark secret. I probably shouldn't keep saying this because (laughs) friends of mine sell the pre-made stuff, but Mm -hmm. I have found non-stick cooking spray to be a great alternative. It is what I use when I have to approach a yellow jacket nest or on the rare occasion that I have a pest out there. Yeah, it 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 will it will coat them. You know, you pam them to death, so to speak. Oh. You coat them with oil and insects yeah. breathe through their exoskeleton and when they're covered with oil they can't breathe and they die. And, of course, okay. all you're doing is, is spraying a little canola oil or olive oil around so you're not mm-hmm. harming anything. So yeah. hopefully that and the traps um, should help you out.
2: Oh, great. Thank you so much.
0: All right. Well, good great. luck to you. Sorry to hear about your thank troubles.
2: Thank you very much. Hey, but now I know how to fix them. So thank you so much for your help.
0: Oh, my pleasure. You take care. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and deliver a final reminder for those of you who wish to repair or renew a cool season lawn that now is the time to aerate, reseed, overseed, and do just about everything else to improve, improve, improve your bluegrass, fescue, or rye. Oh, my! But don't go looking for that old seed spreader just yet, because we'll be right back with important information about seed saving and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in beautiful Bethlehem, PA. From the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens, in just a little bit. We'll tell you how to save the seeds of some of your favorite plants, all of the plants in the bean family, any kind of pepper, any kind of tomato, and we'll warn you why you should not try to save seeds from your pumpkins or other squash. Hmm, what could he mean by that? You'll find out after more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Marion, welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
6: Well, thank you,
0: and thank you for taking my call. Thank you so much for making it, Marion. How you doing?
6: I am doing fine in uh, Mercerville, New Jersey, which is center state uh, near the Delaware River.
0: What, what could we do for Marion?
6: Okay, I have peppers um pepper plants and these are the um sweet little italian peppers oh i
0: love those the the sometimes called the italian frying pepper
6: yes that's exactly what it is
0: now before before you move on and and tell us what's mm -hmm. going on i want to mention to people that and it was confirmed again this year i grow a great variety of peppers and my sweet Italian peppers were the first to color up and ripen, and they are way ahead of any kind of bell pepper or any other sweet pepper that I planted, even the little mini bells.
3: hmm
6: hmm
0: Okay, so proceed.
6: Okay, so at the junction of the branch that goes off of the stem, mm-hmm. that area is getting brown. Okay. Turning brown. And so I did some research on the internet, and I went to the garden center, and then I I also contacted you, as you know, and you asked me some questions. You asked me, are they growing in raised beds or on flat ground? And I said, it's flat. They are in a bed, but it's not raised in your criteria. It's only raised about four inches. Okay. have been have a, have you been feeding them? No. Um, uh, are they mulched? No. Are they growing in or near a treated lawn? One of the plants is about four foot away, and the other is about seven foot away from mm-hmm. the lawn. Um, and those two actually are fine. It's the ones that are uh, about four foot away that are having problems.
0: Okay. So,
1: uh,
6: and it says how do you water, and I said once a week unless it rains.
0: Okay, good. Now uh, you didn't, you forgot to tell us the diagnosis you got from the garden center and/or the internet
6: and the research. Okay, I'm going to try to say it and then I'll spell it. Fido top.
0: Blight. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Um, it's a tough one. I'm not going to try to pronounce it either. Um, but how do your peppers look, except for this little discoloration in the crotch?
6: They look fine, and they're being productive, although they are slower in being productive. Yeah, than but you know, if you year. did any
0: kind of research, you know, you don't have the blight. This well, thing is deadly. It is. Biblical. It is caused by uh, what's called a, a water mold, and it is most prevalent in poorly draining areas, areas that hold water. Um, and even the institutional, the universities and extension services, when they're giving advice to farmers, say whether you do it for anything else or not, you should grow your peppers in raised beds so that they drain well and this disease doesn't happen. But if you had this disease, your leaves would be all discolored, your peppers would be rotting, things would be just awful. Um, Mm. It is not unusual for parts of a pepper plant to become kind of woody, because they are perennials in their native Mm. clime where they don't freeze. So I bring my peppers inside in pots over the winter, keep them under a nice light, keep them warm, put them out again the following spring. And over the years, the stem becomes really woody, almost like a small tree. So that's not a bad sign. Uh, The blight you describe is absolutely fatal. You, You know, from the research you you read, there's no way to save your plants once this thing strikes. And it is a little bit like late blight of tomatoes. Once it would start striking, it would strike hard, especially with, especially with all the rain we've had this season. Okay. So, you know, I think this is another case where you're looking too closely. Um, if the leaves are good and the peppers are progressing, you've got nothing wrong. Just continue doing what you're doing. If mm-hmm. if something starts to go really south, then unfortunately your only thing to do is pull out the peppers and discard them. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think your peppers are, are quite normal. One thing about uh, a lot of sweet peppers is once they turn fully green, it can take two or three weeks for them to show the first signs of ripening up to their final color. And all of us are impatient Mm -hmm. when this happens. So uh, just be patient. Uh, Don't worry about them so much. But if you are concerned, this fall would be a great time to make that area into a raised bed four feet wide. Just add like four more inches of soil and box it in. And then you would be safe from this water mold uh, Absolutely forever, because of the oh. drainage that you get.
6: Oh well, that's good advice, and that's doable since we've already got the base with the uh, wood there anyway. Oh so. yeah,
0: absolutely. Just make sure mm-hmm. the bed is only four feet wide so you can tend all the plants without stepping in it.
6: Yes, and they cur- the beds are currently four four by eight.
0: Oh, perfect. Yeah, all you got to do is build them up some more.
6: Right. Right. Okay, so All right. that sounds like a good plan. Thank you so much. I appreciate this opportunity to speak with you.
0: Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Marion.
6: Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: It is time for the question of the week, which we're calling the crash course on saving some seeds for next season. Steve in Big Fork, Western Montana, writes, I'm interested in saving seeds from this year's garden for use next year. I'd appreciate a general discussion about this topic. Well, I suspect that a lot of cost-conscious folks are having the same thoughts right now, Steve, and the basics are just what they need. So let's bullet point this puppy. One, basic rule. Hybrid seeds are the result of crossing the pollen of two different plants in the same species to create a new and unique variety. By law, all hybrid seeds and plants must have the word hybrid before their variety name and or be designated as F1. Now, because these plants contain the DNA of two different plants, seed saved from a hybrid plant will not produce plants identical to the one you grew. They might be better, they might be worse, they might be weird. But hybrid seeds will germinate. So if you're a gambling man, go for it. Two, number two, two. The other side of the coin is our open pollinated plants, which we call OPs. Seeds saved from an OP will be identical to the parent plant unless it's in the squash family, which we'll get to in a little bit. Number three, important note. Hybrid seeds have been around for centuries and are not genetically engineered, okay? You, as a gardener, can't buy genetically engineered seeds or plants, got it? All right, let's get saving. We're gonna do two up front that I call easy peasy. The first one, any kind of beans, that's green beans, as in string beans, wax beans, lima beans, and storage beans like pinto, garbanzo, kidney, and black beans. If you're eating some of the plants young off the vine, as you would with green beans, pick them small and frequently, but stop when there's about six weeks left in the season. Allow the remaining bean pods to become dry and brittle on the vine. Don't rush this step. When the time comes, shell them out and store the beans in a cool, dry place. Now. If you're saving dried beans, like these beautiful Scarlet Runner beans, you can see if you're watching the TV here, you can eat some of them in stews and soups and such over the winter, but be sure to save some for planting next season. Number two on the easy peasy list is peppers. The secret here is to allow the peppers, hot or sweet, to ripen up completely. No green peppers or in between colors, like purple. Leave them on the plant for about a week after you're certain they're fully ripe at their final color and ready to go. Then bring them inside, cut them open, and place the seeds on a dish in a cool dry spot until you can snap a sample seed in half. Toss that one away. Store your seeds in small envelopes on which you will write the variety name. And again, for television, the pepper we cut open here is fully ripe. It is naturally a yellowish-orange colored pepper, and these seeds are good to germinate. Okay, we move on to the moderately difficult but very popular tomatoes. Select two or three of the nicest-looking fruits from a single open-pollinated plant and let them sit on the vine past their dead-ripe stage to ensure that the collected seeds will be fully grown and viable. Bring the fruits inside and squish the seeds out into a bowl. Note that unlike the other kinds of seeds, tomato seeds have a gelatinous coating that must be dealt with before you can store them. So add water at least as much as there is juice in that bowl. Stir well. Day two, Stir well and don't discuss the smell with anyone. Day three skim some of the scum that has formed on the surface off. Add more water, stir well, walk away for a couple of minutes, and then come back and skim all the nasty stuff off the surface, including any seeds. Floaters with tomatoes will not sprout, so you don't want them. Pour the water containing the seeds that didn't float, the good ones, into a strainer and rinse them righteously. Keep rinsing and blotting the bottom of the strainer with paper towels until all the nasty gelatinous stuff is gone. Then hang the strainer in front of a small size fan, you know, like the kind you use at an office desk or when you're out camping. Keep blotting and gently stirring until the water is gone. Then continue fanning until the seeds are dry enough to snap in half. Store in a cool, dry place. And finally, we move on to the category, forget about it. Squash, melon, pumpkins, and cukes. This is the Pro Bowl promiscuous squash bees will go from flower to flower of different plants in this family, and the seeds you thought would produce another fabulous Connecticut field pumpkin will instead deliver ghostly giant white dipper gourds the following year. Professional seed savers either have to cage and hand-pollinate their individual plants or ensure that no other members of this vast family are growing nearby. And since nobody really knows how far a squash bee can travel, nearby is either a relative or a useless term, or maybe it's relatively useless or more likely a useless relative. Anyway, the exception to this rule for some curious reason is watermelons. If you only grow one variety and it is an open pollinated variety, the same seed should produce the same fruit. Just make sure it's dead ripe before you pick it. We move on to storage. Storage is a numbers game. Wherever you store your seeds, the temperature and humidity should add up to no more than 100 degrees Fahrenheit. That means no bathroom, no kitchen, no damp corner of your basement. A hydrometer will reveal the numbers you need to know. Insurance. Your seeds must be bone dry before they go into their jars or seed-saving envelopes. If a sample seed bends instead of breaks, it is not ready. And even sealed jars of big seeds should contain one or more of those desiccating pouches that come in vitamin and supplement bottles to help keep things dry. Envelopes containing smaller seeds should be grouped together and placed in sealed jars with several desiccating pouches. Well, that sure was a lot of fun facts about saving seeds, now wasn't it? Luckily for you, the Question of the Week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website, where you can read it over at your leisure or your leisure. Just click the link for the Question of the Week at our website, which is still and will forever be, say it with me, kids, YouBetYourGarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you will always find the latest Question of the Week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to unsave my seeds. If I don't get out of this studio, we must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at YBYG at WLVT.org. You'll find all of this contact information, answers to hundreds of your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, and our podcast. It's all at our website, youbetchourgarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Television and Radio in association with Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created by Steve Allen on an early version of The Tonight Show and was originally played by Don Knotts. Our musical director is Ken Queter. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airwaves is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer, cheerful Charlie Sarah, is off on a secret mission. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet, check out her fine work and ponder lots of beautiful pictures at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minnick. Our website wonder is Nicole Harrell. Our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is Judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. The usual gang of idiots this week includes Eric Werner, John Flynn, and Zach the Tat. We challenged our fearless leader, CEO, and grand poobah, Tim Fallon, to try and say Susie sells CD seeds at the sadly sunken seashore a hundred times. He got to five before he realized what was going on and then chased us all out of the studio. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and thanks to Miss Diane, I have my first run of 75 garlic cloves in the ground with another 75 ready to go. 150 cloves on the wall, 150 cloves. Take them down, pass them around, and hey, I didn't say you could keep them, get back here.